sitting at home with Sarah and Tanil. Hi, Sarah. Hey, friend. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. We are, what, April 12th already. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. We're headed towards the middle of the month. Yes. And, you know, April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. Yes. And so, uh, listen, I, I want to share a statistic because I do that from time to time. According to the CDC, at least one in seven children has experienced child abuse mm -hmm. and or neglect in the past year. Now, this is likely an underestimate because we know COVID-19, we heard the stories about how, you know, being in lockdown right. and all these types of things that cases of abuse have increased. Unfortunately. And they are probably underreported. Right. So let me give you another statistic. In 2019, the CDC says that 1,840 children mm. died of abuse and neglect in the United States. Well, one's too many. Yeah. But these are not wow. statistics that we like. No. So, and you know, we talk about child abuse. You think about uh, obvious physical abuse, right. but there's another side to abuse. And so we called in um, someone to kind of help support us in this discussion. We have with us Megan Gaylord. She's the program supervisor for Youth Villages Specialized Crisis Program. Hi, Megan. Hi. How are you today? Oh, I am so fantastic. I have been caffeinated up and I'm ready to go. To oh, class. well, we need some caffeine to discuss the heavy yes. issues. Now, I do want to mention Megan is also co-chair of the Region 6 Children's Committee. Now, tell me exactly what that is. So our Region 6 Children's Committee um, is a subset of the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. And I know that's a mouthful. But what we do is organize um, children's initiatives, conversations regarding children's mental health for a good chunk of West Tennessee. We okay. pretty much cover everything in West Tennessee except for Shelby County. Okay, wonderful. I didn't even know that existed. So that is a really good to know because mental health issues are really an important topic. Yes, yes, it is. Well, let's just jump in. We've got some things we want to discuss with you today, Megan. Um, you know, talking about prevention-related topics really start when kids are really young. So how young should we start this discussion? And what do you think the conversation might look like with very young children? So it, it starts with identifying what parts of your body um, that you have. So, um, you know, where we touch our body and when we touch our body and who's around when we touch our body hmm. or okay. who we show our body to. Um, so it's starting by teaching some very basic boundaries, right? Um, and so as we know, when we're very young kids, we love to take our clothes off everywhere and in front of anybody. Yes. You know, I think we've had, I have a, a now five-year-old and even at five, we had a close Zoom, we had a close call and a Zoom call the other day when Whoops. she was home. And it's like, hey, yeah. <laughs> got her some clothes off. And yeah. I know you want me to take your hair bow out, but like, no, we'll put the clothes on. <laughs> um, so, but starting with that, with some boundaries. Um, in helping them voice what does and does not feel good to them. Something as small as, um, I don't like the way you're brushing my hair. That hurts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Being able to voice that and have that heard and reciprocated. Um, it also starts to talk about, you know, sexual boundaries and physical touch boundaries. So child abuse is categorized lots of different ways. We have child physical abuse, sexual abuse, we have neglect, and we have emotional abuse. So teaching boundaries around those things. We never want our kids to hit someone else. 
Right. So identifying that's a bad touch. Let's teach gentle hands. Let's have a calm down, a time in. I hate the word timeout. So timeout is punishment. Time in is teaching self-soothing. Oh, time so, in. That's a yeah, new concept. So time in is about calming down. Time out is about punishment. Oh. So time in can be with a caretaker or solo, but giving them that time to self-regulate. So some of my favorite ones to do when kids are really young, they get rocked, they get held. So it's okay when your kid is having difficulty regulating to hold them and just rock them back and forth. Eventually they'll learn how to do that on on their own. So you can transition that as we start to edge towards pre-K and kindergarten. Let's rock side to side. Let's give ourselves a tight hug and a blanket if that's what makes us feel more secure when we're needing to do a time in. Um, Things that have any repetitive movement finger tapping, um, deep breathing, anything that's rhythmic is a really good thing for self-soothing. So if you think about when, when mom is pregnant with baby, moms often rock side to side even while pregnant because they're trying to get comfortable, that baby likes that motion. We hear mom's heartbeat, which is a very repetitive sound. So all of those things are natural self-soothers. That's why we keep selling out of weighted blankets every time Walmart gets a new shipment. So starting to talk with them about how to calm down, but also talking with them about some very clear boundaries. Um, You know, this is your body, naming our body parts. Who do we show our body parts to? Who should be asking them to take their clothes off? Okay, hitting is wrong. I'm not going to hit you. You're not going to hit me. How do we correct that behavior? Who do you tell if someone hits you? Um, let's not automatically hit someone back because they might be mm. back even harder. Right. What right. Words, yeah. What words do we use to talk about people? Um, you know, my husband can tell when my daughter has been in the car with me while I have been driving. <laughs> because she's like, hurry up, get out of the way. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, you, you took that road trip with mom the other day, didn't you? Well, now um, you, you mentioned something about soothing. Now, my child's 19. Can I still like rock him back and forth to kind of calm him down when he. Yeah. So think about it. Like, when we get really, really upset, we tend to collapse into somebody. But you think about that mom hug, right? Yeah. yeah. You give them that hug and you just kind of rock them. That's self-soothing to both of you. Um, And so the other thing is when we talk about child prevention, we also have to talk about adult prevention. So you might need to work on raising your voice to your child. Um, I came from a, a dad who was in the army and he sometimes used to that army voice when he came home. Or, you know, making sure that anytime you raise your voice, you are escalating the situation with your child, not de-escalating it. Yeah. Um, And sometimes that's hard as parents because you're like, I've asked you to pick up that Lego 900 times. Yes. (laughs) Just pick it up. Um, But, you know, what we're modeling when we do that is a form of emotional abuse that I'm going to get my way with you by raising my voice at you. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's modeling at home. So we understand these things are not okay. So if someone says something that really hurts their feelings, you know, they, they can come and tell us about that. The other thing about prevention is identifying 
you can tell me things that have bothered you, that have hurt you, and I'm not going to punish you for it. So people who sometimes abuse children intermix it in a way where the child starts to believe they will get in trouble for whatever it happens. Right. Same thing. One of the, I'm going to talk a little bit later about um, online safety with kids. That's the big piece is like, I'm going to publicly embarrass you. All of these bad things are going to happen if you tell anybody. And so kids are afraid to tell because either I'm going to get in trouble for being on this app or they're going to tell someone else I did something wrong and I'm the one that's going to get in trouble, not the person that did something to physically hurt me or to abuse me in some way. Wow, we've got so much to unpack because, I mean, we've got <laughs> topics we want to get to and I know we don't have a lot of time. But one thing I do want to bring up because, you know, a lot of times families use slang words within the house. You know, cute little nicknames for our body parts. Um, basically, they're trying to keep their kids from being inappropriate when they're out. Um, so in order to express their biological needs, they come up with cute little names for body parts. Is this something that's recommended from an abuse prevention standpoint? So if you think about it this way, um, you know, there's a song that refers to your head as your top notcher. Do we teach our kids their head as their top notcher or do we keep, teach kids their head as their head? So we want to teach kids their body parts based on how they are truly named. Arm, leg, toe, penis, vagina, butt. Right. If they know those terms. They know that that term is the same thing. Penis is the same as this. Mm-hmm. That's what they need to know. But we don't want to not say penis or vagina or butt and your children not know what those terms are. Um, you know, there's a lot of internet memes and things going on that a child reports, you know, makes a report to a teacher or an administrator that uses a slang term that only their family uses. And the teacher had no idea the child had been or the administrator didn't right. know that the child was trying to make a disclosure. We want children to know wow. their appropriate names of their body parts. Okay. What okay. about using the term like teaching your kid about strangers, like stranger danger, that kind of thing? You know, some yeah. strangers we, you know, it's like we kind of know you, but we don't know you really well, that kind of stuff. Yeah. How do you talk about people like that? So, um, sometimes we can talk with older kids about circles of influence. I'm going to start and go younger to older. So younger, if you live in my household, these are the boundaries with people who live in my household. Um, but we still ask before touching, can I sit in your lap? Yes. Okay. Cause even mommy or daddy or caretaker might not want to be touched right then. They might have had a long day, and the last thing they want is someone climbing on them. <laughs> teaching them that we asked before touching. Um, but maybe it's a family acquaintance that comes over. Um, I have a very outgoing, gregarious child who likes to love everybody. But teaching, teaching them that we ask before touching, ask before hugging, because maybe that person had a flare-up of shingles, and it's going to hurt if oh, you touch yeah, them. Or, right. mm-hmm. You know, things like that. So teaching them that boundary. Now, when it comes to complete strangers, it is okay to greet them with a smile and a wave, but you're not going to tell them, this is my full name, this is my address and my phone number, that person over there is my mommy, Megan, Um, but teaching them that boundary. So what we know about child abuse is the majority of the time it is done with someone who is known to the child. So either someone who is already in that child's circle of influence 
or someone who has introduced themselves into the child's circle of influence. Stranger abductions happen. Stranger abuse does happen. There are people who have certain, um, you know, sexual um, predilections that gear towards surprise, shock, public type things. But the majority of the time, part of the conversation has to be what happens if I get touched in a way by someone we're supposed to trust or hit or neglected or hurt by someone we're supposed to trust. And identifying that your child can come to you about anybody and teaching what that boundary is. So we're so used to talking to kids about, um, you know, if someone touches you anywhere that your bathing suit covers, I want you to tell me. But it could be as someone touching you on your shoulder, your back, or anywhere else on your body that you don't like. Sometimes it's just kids get intimidated by size. You know, if you're two and a half feet and there's someone who's six foot that keeps tickling you or touching you and you don't want to be touched right then, we want to be able to empower kids to say no, that I don't want to be touched that way. Right. And to go get an adult they do trust to help act as their intervention agent. Well, I want to get to kids that are a little bit older, just yep. just because we need to address some issues really quickly. Um, yep. Older kids, like teenagers, how do we help them determine whenever they have secrets that need to be shared with someone? Maybe it's not their secret. Maybe it's their best friend's secret, but it's something that an adult needs to know about, a trusted adult needs to know. So teaching kids the concept of safe telling whether it's my friend is suicidal, my friend is cutting, my friend is being abused, my friend is dating someone who's 28. Mm -hmm. um, it is okay to safe tell to another adult about your friend if your friend is in danger. The other thing I like to teach is that two teenage brains do not equate to one grown-up brain. <laughs> True. <laughs> and I say, like, look, who's in charge of the money? You, me, not you. That's because they trust the grown-up brain with the money, with the car. Yeah. So if there's something big, come and get me. Yeah. The other thing has to do with stranger danger online. Right. Um, so think about Facebook. It is your friends list. Are those people really your friends? I can answer that. Um, no, they're not. No. They would <laughs> right. not come to your house for dinner. If your house was burning down, they probably wouldn't bring you a bucket of water. So... Mm -hmm. We have to teach kids that online is coming a completely different world. And so we also have to watch those apps, those ages for the apps. So there's a certain reason. So the federal government put some protections in place for children, which is why a lot of those apps have very strict age requirements. Mm -hmm. Because after a certain age, the government has lessened the restrictions Right. on what they can and can't expose people to. So the other thing is, you know, your kid doesn't need a Facebook instant messenger account. They can have an email address that you as an adult can monitor right. um, or a shared email address where your parent has the, the um, password to it. So that's where the most stranger danger happens for teenagers. Cause it's not like the nineties when kids are like chilling at the mall anymore. They're like chilling on kick and, Insta, so yeah. true. especially in this last year when people have been at home more. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah, if your kid has an app, you need to download and create a profile too, so you understand how that app works. Right, and protect. Like, I think as a mom of a teenager, I mean, I have I have that phone locked down. 
<laughs> you know, and I you gotten it. used to saying that yet, mom no, of a teenager. This is relatively new. Wow, <laughs> I've never heard you say that before. But you know, it's a protection for him, you know, because he doesn't know. So, you know. Well, Megan, last question, and we're out of time just about. But what can we do to help teenagers that are preparing to leave, so they can, you know, go to the next step, whatever that is, mm -hmm. but help them be proactive and staying safe once they leave our protection. <laughs> So when we think about talking to our kids about abuse over their lifetime, the younger kids, it's good touch, bad touch, body autonomy, middle school and, and of elementary school, it's dating, it's sex, it's, it's relationships. Now it's talking about adult relationships. What do you do when your partner hits you? Mm. How many parents have had that conversation with their child when they're leaving for college or trade school or moving out on their own? Preparing our children for what might happen in adult relationships talking about drinking and relationships, talking about first dates, how to have first dates safely. And high school's a little bit easier. First date might be a high school football game. There's everyone around. First date when you're 22, 23, I look a lot different. Right. Or even when you're 19 leaving the nest. Having those conversations and, and about reporting. What's okay, what's not okay. Talking about consent. And not just assuming that your child, oh, I signed the form for them to have sex education in high school. Those conversations about sex dating and relationships need to start at the end of elementary school. Um, lest it happen that you end up the, the child that has the abusive boyfriend at age 13. It happens. And a lot of times we don't think it's going to happen. And so having those conversations, personal safety, dating in groups, dating in public places, um, what to do if an intimate partner becomes violent towards you or is verbally abusive towards you. Um, those are not things that magically go away. So being able to empower them to, you know, really take charge of themselves, but also to pull in supports when they can't, right? Let them, let them know as busy as I am, you know, there's always a chance for you to come home. Home right. is a shelter. Right. I feel and like so much of what yeah. we've talked about comes back to communication from day one. Just oh, it does. It starts children. young. Yeah. And then it has to continue. It can't yes. be a talk. It has to be continuous communication. Megan, where can people find resources? How can they reach out? There is a wonderful training, and I'll send you guys the link if you want to post it, um, that um, you can go and get a simple training on child abuse reporting. Okay. Because maybe it might not happen to your child. Maybe you'll see it happen to another or another child or, or confiding you about it. Okay. Um, you know, anytime we have a chance to talk about, sorry, I had to decline a call. Um, anytime we have a chance to, um, learn ways to communicate with our child, one of my favorite resources is there are back and forth journals that you can use with your son or your daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and because sometimes it's harder to talk to our caretaker about what it is, we can write it a little bit easier. Yeah. And so sometimes that back and forth journal has some good prompts that we can talk about. They can then prompt some good face-to-face -face conversations. The other thing is if you are not going to be the trusted adult for your child, Maybe there is something between you and your child right now. Maybe I'm really angry about your divorce. Identifying who is going to be that surrogate safe place for that child. Because that's when our children are vulnerable is when there's a disruption to that adult-child connection. So it could be we pull in a really trusted teacher or a member of our clergy or our faith community or trusted aunt or uncle 
um, that we know this child can open up to. And then if there's something the child's doing that's unsafe, there's an agreement that we're going to pull in your caretaker, your mom, your dad, your granny, to be able to safe tell back to them to know how to keep you safe. Well, I think that's amazing. And we will definitely post the link in the comment section on our Bringing It Home Facebook page. Megan, thank you so much for the conversation today. I think it's frank and it's honest and it's what we needed uh, for Child Abuse Prevention Month. So thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you to all of our listeners. And in the words of Mr. Bob Marley, live the life you love. And love the life you live. Take care, everybody.